This is Laura Sarkovsky-Kaufman from SIFT, and you are listening to the Eat Block Talk podcast. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to Eat Blog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave Eat Blog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Hey, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in their businesses. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 318. Today, I have Laura here with me. She is going to talk to us about starting a food blogging career at 30 plus and also just more generally starting a food blog when life is going on around us. And she's also going to dig into uh, the gluten-free diet and why this might be a good avenue for food bloggers considering the fact that it is not a fad. So hi, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I am excited for this chat. Before we dig in, though, we want to know what your fun fact is. I have five rescue cats. <laughs> um, I am that person. I'm a crazy cat lady, but I'm married and we have a baby on the way. <laughs> oh, so do you think you'll keep all of your cats when the baby is born? Oh, 100%. They are our primary children, our initial children. They're your family. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I never thought I would be a cat person, but we got a cat because our youngest son really wanted one. And both my husband and I were a little bit resistant <laughs> just because we didn't grow up with cats. You sure. know, like it wasn't in our families, but we love our cats so much. Yes. I never anticipated <laughs> it, but they he is like the coolest cat ever. And I cannot imagine our family without him. That's so exactly cats it. Are, yeah, they're cool. They really are. <laughs> Well, I love that. And congrats on the upcoming baby. Thank when you. is your due date? June 7th. So we are four <gasps> weeks out. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're getting so close. Amazing. Yes, definitely oh. feeling ready. <laughs> Good. Well, it's an exciting time. So just here's like one little piece of advice. I wish someone would have said to me, and this is totally unsolicited, so take it or leave it. But <laughs> just like, even though you're super tired to begin with when the baby's born, do whatever you can to just treasure those moments because it goes yeah. so freaking fast. And before you know it, you're like, wait, come back. And Where'd there's nothing you can go? do, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Where'd my baby go? Yeah. <laughs> so try to treasure through the tiredness. <laughs> I will do my very best and keep oh. you posted. <laughs> yes. Well, super exciting. Um, okay, we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to cover a few little subtopics under yeah. just starting a food blog career at 30 plus and when life gets crazy. So why don't you just share your story about how and why you started your food blog? Sure. So I am Canadian by birth. I moved to the U.S. in January of 2017. I want to say, yeah, 2017. <laughs> and while I was waiting for my green card, I couldn't work, which was a new experience for me. I was a go, go, go person. I had just finished grad school. Um, 
getting my master's in uh, Roman history and religion. So I decided at that point I was going to take however long it took to really learn how to bake and cook all of the things I missed from back home. Because while you're waiting for your green card, you're not allowed to leave the country. So I started a really average food block at that time and was like, you know, this is kind of fun. It's giving me something to do. And I just found I had all this pent up energy from like the previous three years of grad school that I needed to filter into something. And that's kind of what it manifested into. Uh, when my green card did arrive though, I transitioned back into the teaching world and did that for a few years and really was just kind of living in that space. Um, I was still learning how to do certain recipes gluten-free on the side, and I would bake and bring things in for my fellow teachers and my students occasionally, but wasn't really blogging at all anymore. And then in January of 2019, I sustained a really terrible concussion that went undiagnosed for nine months. And my health was just deteriorating at a really rapid rate and saw um, about 30 doctors. I wish that was an exaggeration, but it's not until I was finally given a proper diagnosis of a vestibular disorder that was the direct result of a concussion and was advised by all the doctors and therapists that I was seeing at the time to go on leave from my job. Um, While I did that, I was going to multiple therapies a week, part of which was like relearning how to speak because I, my brain and my mouth just weren't connecting very well. I had severed that connection and would think of a word and know the right word in my brain. And then a completely different word would come out of my mouth. I was going to physical therapy multiple times a week, uh, to try to get a, the balance and vestibular disorder under control and just really get my life back on track And when it turned out that I had run through all of my FMLA and would not be able to (laughs) get back to being 100% by the time my employer was expecting me to, they asked me to quit. So I was like, well, didn't really love this job all that much anyway. So (laughs) this seems like a good time to leave. And at that point, I was like, okay, you know what I actually really did like doing was I liked teaching people about gluten-free recipes, how to convert recipes to gluten-free. I love photography and I just love food in general. So I'm going to restart a food blog and I'm going to start a baking business on the side just for some supplemental income, not thinking that it would necessarily become a full-time thing. But that began in December of 2019 and then really took off in January of 2020, which is a great year for things to take yeah. off. And yeah, that's what I've been doing since then. Wow. So you have overcome a lot. I mean, physically, I feel like when you have a brain injury, there's not much more that's hard, harder than that. Because like you said, mm-hmm. you were trying to say a word and something else would come out. So that had to be super frustrating as well, right? Oh, yeah. It kind of felt like (laughs) I always use this visual with people. I'm like, it kind of feels like you are in one of those like sitcoms where you see someone's in a straitjacket, like in a padded room. And that's kind of what your brain feels like. And you just like, you know, you're not crazy. But to everyone else, you're sounding really insane because in your brain, it makes 
perfect sense. It's cohesive. It's clear. But when you're trying to say, hey, let's go for a walk and you're saying, hey, let's go bread <laughs> it's oh. just, to everyone else around you, it's really not that clear. So, yeah, it's definitely challenging. And I have complete complete empathy and sympathy in my heart goes out to anyone who's ever dealt with a brain injury is still dealing with a brain injury and all that terrible stuff. It's just really not an enjoyable experience. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. So not only did you go through the pandemic, just like the rest of us did, and all of the challenges relating to that, but you had this issue, this hurdle to overcome, and you yet you persevered and you were successful. So give us some encouragement because I think without having an injury, the rest of us feel like, oh my gosh, we just went through a pandemic and how am I getting through this? So that alone is challenging. So give us some encouragement to keep going and to just continue on with our businesses despite it. I think it can be like any job in the sense that you can get burnout pretty quickly, um, especially when you're using social media platforms that you don't personally own. Instagram has been the big one of conversation, I feel, as of late, where the algorithm has not been friendly to a lot of people, myself included. It fluctuates, it goes up and down. And you really need to find what works for you. If that's finding a niche of a particular genre of cooking, if that's a style of teaching, how, how to do recipes, be it via photographs, video, um, finding a platform that works for you, finding a new theme for your blog. It, I mean, it can really be a number of different things, but there's ways to reinvent as you go that I feel can kind of reignite that spark if you're feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little tired of doing the same thing every day. So really creating a bit of tunnel vision. And it's so simple to me, but it took me so long to figure this out. But really exactly what you said is kind of the key, in my opinion. And it's just like finding out what works for you. And it's going to be different for everyone. And it's so simple. But why is it so hard to do that? It's so hard to like really understand that principle. Exactly. I think we try to do too much when we start. I think that's the general curse of the food blogger in the beginning is that you feel, okay, well, I don't want to alienate anybody. And you try to encompass as many followers as you can. And so for me, the big thing I was doing for a really long time was despite the fact that I have celiac disease, I was like, well, I want to not alienate people that aren't gluten-free. So I'll make my recipes one-to-one recipes. And I did that for probably the first year, year or so and sat back and thought like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Like Mm. none of the food I eat has gluten in it. So why am I not just speaking directly to a gluten-free audience? And at that point I was like, okay, I'm going in and I'm going to retailer my recipes. I'm going to do strictly gluten-free. And if someone wants to then convert my recipe into a one-to-one recipe, that's fine because the majority of my recipes do work as a one-to-one. Or if they know someone that's gluten-free, they can make this for them and, and or spread the word. And I feel like that has worked better for me personally. But yeah, it's creating that direct connection, I feel like, to who you're trying to speak to as opposed to just trying to like lambast everyone with, hey, this is what I do. Please mm. follow. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so really honing in on a niche and also maybe evaluating the platforms that you're on and seeing what works. Like for me, Instagram, just for some reason, whatever reason, Instagram has never been 
effective for me, even though I've put (laughs) tons of effort into trying, I've tried to figure it out. So just recognizing that and saying, okay, this platform or this tool or whatever, the social media account doesn't work, but finding those areas that do work within your niche and focusing there. Exactly. I mean, I'm in the same boat in which Instagram has been really rude to me. I feel like it's never, you know, welcomed me with open arms and been like, we love what you do. But, um, you know, Facebook has all these groups, which are so wonderful. And especially if you are in a niche like gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free, anything like that. There's just tons of groups. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a niche like that. One of my fellow friends who's a food blogger, she is in a bunch of slow cooker groups or instant pot groups. And that's been probably 60% of her traffic each month. It comes from Facebook and she's on Mediavine. Um, you know, a bunch of my friends are doing really successfully on TikTok and that's been where they are reaching their success. So it's really a game of trial and error, I feel like, and it can, you know, be time exhaustive (laughs) um, because you do have to put in that time to see what works and what doesn't work, but it is important to see what does work for you. And also like, if it's not working and you absolutely hate that platform, stop. Mm. (laughs) There are different options for you to get your name out there. And I mean, I, I believe so wholeheartedly that the best thing you can do is invest your time into your actual blog because you own that as opposed to being reliant on these social media platforms. While they are incredibly beneficial for certain people, even top bloggers will say and comment on the fact that they really don't get much traffic from Instagram, for example. So I think it's learning how to invest your time properly and where to invest that time that brings you joy and doesn't make your job feel like a tedious task every single day. You just hit the nail on the head with like, if it's not working, and you don't like it, in fact, if you hate it, then that is like the formula for equals stop. So Laura just gave you permission to stop those tasks that have both of those elements in it. And I think we need permission sometimes because you mentioned earlier, like we try to do too much. We do everything. We dig into everything thinking it's all going to work, but it doesn't work that way. So I love that you're giving people permission to just evaluate and stop. I think we have to every once in a while anyway. I mean, if you're running it as a business, which most food bloggers are, unless you're a casual food blogger, in which case that's fine. But if it is being run as a business, I think you do need to step back every few months or so and go, okay, what's working? What's not working? What can I improve for myself? What can I improve for my business? And if you look at the numbers and generally your feelings towards those numbers, it's going to become clear pretty quickly. Hello, food bloggers. Let's chat really quick about Rank IQ, a powerful keyword research tool made just for you, just for bloggers. You've heard me talk about this amazing keyword research tool before, and I'm going to keep talking about it. Why? Because it works. I have seen steady organic growth on my food blog, Pip and Ebby, in 2022. And the top reason for that is because I've prioritized running all of my content through this powerful tool. Here is why Rank IQ works. One, all of the keywords in this database are handpicked by Brandon, the creator of the tool. You won't find keywords in the tool that won't rank like you will in so many other tools. With other tools, you are blindly guessing at what is going to work and what isn't. 
Two Rank IQ keywords will give you novel ideas about new articles to write and ways to rewrite existing content. And three, the Rank IQ Optimizer is the best optimizer I've used. It is an extremely powerful tool unlike any other. Check it out for yourself. Go to rankiq.com to sign up and see for yourself how amazing it is. I hope you get a lot of traffic and traction through it. Get ready to get obsessed. Now back to the episode. Wow. So you have such an inspiring story. The fact that you've ever overcome so much and you've just persevered. What platforms do work for you? I'm curious. Facebook right now is my biggest one um, because of the fact that there are plenty of gluten-free groups on uh, Facebook. I really have not gotten into TikTok yet. (laughs) That was going to be something I was going to devote a lot more time to this year, but pregnancy kind of got in the way of that (laughs) and just not feeling well while being pregnant uh, slowed everything down really. But I've been trying to invest most of my time into my blog if it's not directly into Facebook. But just from witnessing what my friends have been expanding into that are food bloggers this year, TikTok has definitely been the number one social media platform that they have been having better success with. There's a resurgence of Facebook. I've heard this from really high-level entrepreneurs that there is power in this like kind of new Facebook wave, I guess you could call it. Yeah. So that's really interesting and intriguing to me. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that there's just, I mean, there's how many people on Facebook, you know, and generally there's so many specific groups, like just for the holidays alone, there's tons of holiday cookies groups. Mm. So if you're a baking blogger and you've got a million cookie recipes, that's a great way to boost your traffic in Q4. Um, And some people are still looking in Q1 because they still have kids at home and all that fun stuff. So it's, you know, typically we see that rise in traffic in Q3 and Q4 and then a steady decrease in Q1. And I found that actually this year my Q1 was better than my Q4. Mm. (laughs) So it's really taking the time to look, kind of scour a little bit and see, okay, does what I do fit the description of this blog? Do I feel like this is going to be answering questions? Is this going to fill the void or the gap for anybody and kind of get continuous follows? um, Or are they going to sign up for my newsletter to keep up to date? And that's working well for me. It's still not like a hundred percent, but I know it's definitely been on the rise for people in the last year or so. So interesting. I loved hearing all of that. Can you speak to this concern that I've heard food bloggers say to me and just kind of in our space that they feel like they're too old to either start (laughs) food blogging or too old to continue and be successful? Yeah, I definitely feel like and I mean, let's let's be real. All of us at one point or another look <laughs> at the new thing that comes in and we're like, I'm way too old for that. I don't have time. For mm, yep. TikTok for me. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly how I felt about TikTok when I first saw it. I was like, oh, God, I'm in my 30s. I don't have time for this. Mm. But it's one of those things that it's it, just so not true. I am of the firm belief that if you are dedicated and you have an app for it, you can make anything work at any age. Um, that's not to say that I think like you should necessarily be going like skydiving when you're 90 years old, but Hey, if you want to, then good for you. But with food blogging, it's, there's, 
this belief that there is oversaturation in the market. And I mean, let's be real. There's oversaturation of everything Mm -hmm. that has never not been the case. That's what competition has always been. And in a, you know, country that relies on commercialism, like that's essentially how the economy works. So with food blogging, I feel like what we were talking about earlier, finding what speaks to you and then finding how you can amplify that voice to people who are in a similar position as you or a similar boat. It's never going to be too saturated. It, It doesn't matter what age you are. You could be 20, you could be 40 and you could say, you know what? I haven't seen many blogs that are talking about X And I happen to know quite a bit about that because that's the diet or lifestyle that I live. How can I answer these questions for people? And that's the basis of the creation of your blog. It doesn't have to be anything mind boggling. It's just really taking the time to sit down and go, what questions are there? How can I answer them? Do I feel comfortable answering those questions? And you go and that's it. And this ties into what you were talking about earlier, too, where you find what works for you. It doesn't matter that it's like the new emerging trend. It doesn't have to be that. You can find a platform that you actually understand and that you Mm -hmm. know and love and resonate with. You don't have to latch on to all of the new platforms and trends and tools that come out. So you can really like at any age, you can find something that works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely see in the groups I'm in on Facebook, there's older uh, food bloggers in there, as opposed to TikTok, which I feel is generally a more younger based food blogger demographic. Um, But, you know, you could use YouTube, you could use Instagram, you can use Facebook, you could use TikTok, like there's a bunch of different options, or you can really just take that time and invest into SEO and Google will guide people to you and it'll work that way. So I think there's plenty of options and there really is something out there for everyone that they will understand. I am not the most tech savvy person. So if I can find things that work for me, others can definitely do the same thing. It really doesn't have anything to do with how old you are. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So you are a gluten-free blogger and I I know that anytime there's like a a diet restriction or allergy or anything like that involved people wonder if it's going to be like a passing trend or a fad that is gone in a few years but why don't you talk to us about that because I know you believe that it is not a passing trend and that this is a good (laughs) avenue to dig into yeah no it's definitely not a passing trend (laughs) celiac disease as it's known in North America it's known as coeliac uh, disease um it overseas generally. Um, and that's based on the fact that a doctor from Rome, Rome antiquity, like 2000 years ago, actually noted in a journal that his patient got very ill whenever he consumed grain and he labeled it coeliac. And the name has stuck around for 2000 years because this illness has been around for 2000 years. Um, So it's really not a passing trend. It's just that more and more people now are actually getting diagnosed and more funding is going into research to understand how and why people have celiac disease or gluten intolerances. Gluten intolerances can be related to a number of different GI issues. It doesn't just have to be celiac disease. It can be Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, IBS. It really, there's a myriad of issues. Some people don't even have abdominal issues. They have, um, 
dermatology issues where they break out in hives or they get foggy brain. There's just a bunch of different reactions that people can have. And it's interesting because the Celiac Association actually just published last week that where previously it was believed that one in every 100 Americans was celiac but hadn't necessarily been diagnosed it was actually one in 50 so more and more people are being affected we're not necessarily sure why if it's something to do with genetically modifying the food that's kind of amplifying the way people react to flour because flour changed so drastically and significantly in the 1900s or is it based on the fact that celiac disease in particular is a familial disease in which case that If one of you has it in your family, probably multiples of you have it, and you might not know it until it starts manifesting at some point in your life. So yeah, definitely not a trend. It's going to be around pretty much as long as humanity is around. I know a lot of gluten-free food bloggers who do really well, but I also know some that get really frustrated because the space is becoming more I don't want to use the word saturated now that you were like, it is not too saturated, but you know what I mean? Like it <laughs> is, they're, yeah. they're, it's populated. Thank you. That's the perfect way to say it. Do you have ideas for them about maybe possible sub niches or different avenues to go within the gluten-free space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, just baking alone is a whole thing. And like gluten-free cake, gluten-free pies, gluten-free crusts, like there's, so many things that you could really dig your heels into if it's sweets if it's savory if it's telling people how to convert their favorite recipes that they had previously um, before they had to be gluten-free into a gluten-free recipe explaining the functionality of making your own flour mixes and what you can make with those mixes instead of you know going to the store and shelling out like what seems like a million dollars for a small bag of flour. There's plenty of options, I feel like. And often people with a gluten problem will then subsequently develop another food allergy. I'm sorry if that's me being the bearer of bad news for people. But there's the option of, you know, incorporating other allergens into your baking. So if you want to do egg-free and gluten-free, dairy-free, gluten-free. If you're vegan and gluten-free, that's a really hard one, but I commend anyone that can do it. We are primarily pescatarian in my household. My husband doesn't eat meat, but will eat fish. So the majority of my recipes are either vegetarian and gluten-free and or pescatarian gluten-free. So there's a bunch of different angles you can take on it. I feel like it's really the same as any other food blogger, you just have the asterisk of gluten-free as like a pre-existing, not a condition, I guess, Mm -hmm. but sort of a pre-existing condition to your blog. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Like just the going the baking route, but then getting really specific with it is something I hadn't thought of like gluten-free breads or I mean, there's like a whole world to explore within each of those categories alone, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bread's a big one. (laughs) If if someone wants to make like a top quality blog about gluten-free bread, they'll be rolling in it pretty soon, I'm sure. Oh, for Um, sure. Yeah, that's a big one that people are still trying to figure out over here. Because that's a pain point, right? Bread for gluten-free folks is a huge pain point. It's hard. So I grew up in Montreal, which is French Canada. So I grew up around 
baguette and croissant and all this stuff. So for me, like that's been what I have missed the most. And it's taken me 12 years to make a good gluten-free baguette, which I literally just made last week. (laughs) So yeah, it's one of those things that it's a learning curve and it's a process. And if you want to take the time and commit to it, it will be um, fruitful in the end. It's just patience is definitely required going in from the get go. Yeah. Wow, such great advice. You've said a few things today that have been like serious aha moments for me. So I have just loved this chat. Is there anything that you would like to include that we haven't talked about along the lines of just persevering, overcoming obstacles and continuing blogging or maybe digging into the gluten-free space? Um, In terms of persevering, I am a huge advocate of mental health and making that a priority. So if you feel you are really struggling, be it in your workspace, in your personal space, if they're overlapping, find someone to talk to. It could be a professional. It could be someone else in the food blogging space. I have a wonderful community of girlfriends that I have met that are food bloggers and they have become my soundboard for so many things and I value them so, so much. And know that if you're feeling a certain way about something, chances are other people are feeling that way too. And there are conversations being had about it. And it's great to kind of keep up on it and just reach out. Like people want to talk like food bloggers generally are pretty friendly people. (laughs) Um, That's what I have found anyway. So there's always going to be someone in that space that's willing to talk to you about something and just keep going at it. Even if it feels really hard at times, Mm it can be worth it. So yeah, I would definitely just say keep going at it. Such great encouragement, Laura. Thank you so much. This was extremely valuable and I know it's going to resonate with a lot of food bloggers. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with today? Because I'm a history nerd, (laughs) um, I will impart a historical quote which is by Rome's first emperor Augustus which was I found Rome a city of brick and left her a city of marble and I feel like that is applicable to us as food bloggers when we were talking about oversaturation you can come into a pre-existing space and you can make your space pristine within that space so just know that it's not too late to start and you can you can do it and it's still good. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for ending that way. We will put together a show notes page for you, Laura. So if anyone wants to go look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash sift. Tell everyone where they can find you online and on social media. So my uh, Instagram handle is at siftrva. So that was because I started my blog when I was living in Richmond, Virginia, and the RVA is like Richmond's tagline. And uh, my website is www.siftrva.com. And if you look up Sift Gluten Free on Facebook or YouTube, you can find me that way as well. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Laura, for joining me. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.